previously on Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. You know, the rapidly rising uh, um, uh, in with, uh, with uh, I don't know. Uh, Stop treating us like animals and bugs and start treating us with some respect. That's what we're here today to say. We've been left out of the conversation. We've been vilified. Not to evict you. Well, sorry. Gotta have them ribs. And pussy too. Afternoon, everybody. No! Norman. How's life treating you, Norm? He caught me in bed with his wife. I live in the real world where men sell propane and propane accessories. And I'm an NYU film school graduate, sucker. You've memorized a bunch of talking points. People of Earth, how are you? Broadcasting live to tape from the dirtiest city in the world, outside of Italy, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What are you thinking about when that buzzer's on for that line? What do you think about when the 15th round you're coming out? You're listening to the podcast of a world gone mad. This is the Society Show. You know, we're living in a society. On today's episode... We're going to talk a lot about the protests and the riots that are still going on in America two weeks after my last episode, and it's still happening. We're going to spend a lot of time going over that. Uh, We're also going to talk about some of the Libyan Civil War report, which is a segment I started, and uh, there's a lot going on that's very interesting in terms of geopolitics in Libya right now. Um, and we're going to spend most of the time talking about, like I said, police and protests. Stay tuned for that. Um, I'm going to talk about what defunding the police might look like, what that policy means. We're going to talk about the history of law enforcement. And I mean big time history, going back to the beginning of time, or at least the beginning of society as we know it. Society. And that's about the show for this week. I'm, I'm not going to drift around topics too much, but uh, I am going to start with some news. You know, we like to have a lot of international news on this show. So uh, let's get to it. Here's the Facts and Logic Report. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. The U.S. Justice Department demands a legal interview with Prince Andrew regarding his relationship to Jeffrey Epstein. Could you please give us your name? Jeffrey Epstein. Is it true, sir, that um, you have what's been described as an egg-shaped penis? 
Republican QAnon follower Marjorie Greene finished in first place in Georgia's 14th district primary with almost 41% of the vote. If she wins the runoff, she very likely will win the election in the primarily Republican district. You the think that's voted Monday to keep it legal? Who would do that? Who would do that? Yeah, you know, I've thought about this and I've wondered what does it mean for a QAnon person to become elected to Congress? What do you think would happen? My first thought is. Oh, they would l- learn how it really works and realize that QAnon is nonsense. But in reality, I don't think that will actually happen whatsoever. I think she'll get a small insight into how the government works. Because in reality, Congress is only dealing with a small portion of the way that the state functions. She'll get in, see a little crumb of details, and that will only fuel uh, the QAnon fantasy further. At this point... At least as long as Donald Trump is president, QAnon is not going away, and it will last longer than Trump is president. Uh, It might just take on new forms. This is not something that's going away, even though for a long time, most people thought it was. So keep an eye out on the QAnoners of your life. Uh, This could get bleak, folks. And what the hell is on said? The European Union is set to file antitrust charges against Amazon over its use of third-party seller data. The charges will reportedly accuse Amazon of using data gathered from sellers on its marketplace to compete against them. In other words, what Amazon does, and I heard, I read a similar story, I don't have it in front of me, uh, about this being raised in the U.S. court system as well. But I do know that the EU uh, tends to, well, it just tends to have different laws than the U.S., especially when it comes to, like, um, media and entertainment and stuff like that. So I'd imagine that the EU would have way bet like more robust antitrust laws than the US considering they don't have the complete problem of massive concentrated capital like the US does. I, I take that back. Of course Europe has massive concentrations of capital, but the the US is just on a whole other plane with that. So hopefully Jeff Bozo can get his come come ups in the European Union court system. Jeff Bozo. Argentina's former president, the neoliberal friend of the United States, President Macri, has been accused of spying on four hundred journalists by Argentina's Federal Intelligence Agency. He's a licensed federal booby inspector. One thing to keep in mind about McCree is, so Argentinian politics have traditionally been dominated by Peronis. Peronis. I'm I'm not good at Spanish, but P-E-R-O-I, or P-E-R-O-N-I-S-T, Peronis. And their beliefs range kind of drastically today junior <laughs> the the name peronism is named after the argentine president 
Juan Piron, who was the president from, uh, let's see. He became the elected president in 1946. And Piron is interesting because he introduced a lot of social programs that benefited the working class and he was like a union type so he was a union supporter he was very popular and his wife was uh championed like migrant worker rights and so his family was really popular but um at the same time uh, there is, like, a right-wing side to Pironism. Um, Juan Piron brought a lot of Nazis to Argentina. He was also sympathetic to uh, a lot of fascists like um, Mussolini. He really admired Mussolini. Uh, he was anti-Semitic. There's a lot of weird uh, kind of idiosyncrasies between the Peronist camp. Some are, it's like a whole spectrum in itself. Some are right wing, some are left wing. And the overarching thing, though, is that even the right wing um, Peronists, right wing Argentinian Peronists, are. And again, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. They tend to be a lot more populist, even though populist... I usually rail against the word populist because it really doesn't mean that much. Like, what's it even saying? Like, right-wing populists are usually, in the U.S., are usually just neocons who are more concerned about culture wars than, like bombing Iraq. I don't know. Like you're a, a a culture war warrior. But in Argentina, even the right-wing Peronists tend to be pro-working class or at least pro-common people. And there's also left-wing um Peronists like for example, the Kirchners who and one of the Kirchners uh, Christina Kirchner, I think her name is. Her husband, Fernando Kirchner. His name was actually Nestor. Was also president. She's currently the vice president. So there is a sort of like left-wing Pironist government currently involved. And since 1946, Pironists have won 10 out of 13 presidential elections in which they were allowed to run. So, that just gives you a really basic idea about politics in Argentina. So, this former guy, President McCree, he was not a Peronist. He was not, like, right-wing. He was not anti-Semitic. But he also wasn't pro-working-class people at all. He was, I guess you would call him a centrist. But, uh, and he was really backed up supported and given given legitimacy by the US government. Obama loved this dude. And uh, I just think it's really telling now that 
the Obamas of the world, the Democrats, will tell you, oh, the centrist neoliberals, they're the ones who are the least corrupt, we're the ones who care about you, we won't give you what we want, but at least we care, don't you get that? And then, of course, this guy, President McCree, has now been accused of spying on 400 journalists, because the neoliberal political apparatus needs needs a strong ideological apparatus to stay functional our neoliberal state would collapse so quickly if it wasn't being bolstered up by the new york times cnn fox news all of that crap the mainstream media continues to spoon feed the masses soundbite clickbait neoliberalism uses the ideological apparatus with so much sophistication that they're able to control political discourse i mean nothing makes that more clear than the fact that biden definitely wouldn't be the democratic nominee if it wasn't for the ideological apparatuses like news media telling it, everyone that he was the only one that could beat trump dead 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 and i really didn't want to i didn't intend to get on a sidetrack about argentina but now that we're here let's get to it just do it like i said in from um let's see 2003 to 2007, Nestor Kirchner, I may have said a different name before, sorry about that. Nestor Kirchner was president of Argentina. And then from 2007 to 2010, his wife, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, uh, was president. And she was... Um, oh wait, I take that, but she was president from 2007 to 2015. I said tw 2007 to 2010. We want the numbers, Mason. That's all we've ever wanted. Christina Kirchner has been involved with politics, like she's perennially been a senator. These people are involved in politics and they are the left wing of the Pyrrhonist movement. You're on the left. You're on the left. They've even gotten support from some smaller Argentinian political parties like the Communist Party. The word around the office is not you're a communist. And they are not liked by right-wing Peronists. So even though Peronism has a history with the Nazi sympathizing and whatnot, um, the right-wing Peronists do not like the Kirchners. So... I just want to put that all out there. Um, take with it what you will. It's hard to talk about Argentinian politics when I'm not there and I only know what I know from reading articles and whatnot. But uh, I think for all practical purposes, we have to interpret the Kirchners as being moderately left-wing. They're not radicals, but they're also not the right-wing parentists that, that they have the association with um, through, like, the circumstances of their politics there, whatever. Uh, I just want to say, so when McCree was president... The IMF was giving him all this money, pouring money into him. And then they were like, oh, don't worry about paying us back, guys. Y you got this. Good job, McCree. And he was still hated. And then, as soon as the, the current president, who is... 
um, Alberto Fernandez. Sorry if I got his name his name wrong earlier. Um, I didn't intend to go into a, a segment on Argentina politics. It just kind of happened, and so I may have got his name wrong earlier. But Alberto Fernandez is the president. He's a left-wing uh, parentist. He's a Kirchnerist, and his vice president is Christina Kirchner. As soon as he got into power... The IMF is like, okay, TikTok, time to pay back these loans we gave you. And they've been trying to ask for loan assistance and they won't give it. This goes to, and on top of all that, McCree was getting a ton of money from the IMF. Able to do whatever he wanted to please whoever he wanted with it. And people still hated his guts. He was very unliked, and Fernandez so far seems to be pretty well-liked, although it's hard to trust polling, and it's even harder to trust polling in other countries just because who knows what's an accurate poll or not. But uh, that's all I have to say about now. This Mauricio McCree, he was a scumbag, spied on journalists, and a lot of Argentinians did not like him, but the U.S. through the IMF gave him a ton of money to do with what he wanted, and people still didn't like him. And now they're taking out the debt on the uh, Kirchnerist President Fernand Alberto Fernandez. So, what can you do about that, folks? Last episode, I reported that Sao Paulo, Brazil was at a critical capacity of coronavirus cases, but was still on track to reopen their economy. Now, Sao Paulo is mostly open and has still continually reported a record number of COVID-19 deaths. Malls, which are one of the last things to open, are still on track to open despite of this. So, at this rate, I would not be surprised at all if Brazil ends up having more coronavirus cases than the U.S., which is just baffling if that happens. Lebanese riot police fired tear gas at protesters in central Beirut after an anti-government protest quickly morphed into rioting and stone-throwing confrontations between opposing factions. It's a standoff, and it's about to get very scary. A shirtless maniac armed with rocks is taunting motorists. He stands in the middle of the street, daring them to pass. When they do... Pure terror ensued. The article I read didn't have much to say about the factions, but Lebanese politics is interesting. You know, there's like 800 different factions. There's like Hezbollah is obviously the big ones, but that's like barely a fraction of the population. It's really there. Whereas the U.S. functions like two parties that 
subsume every possible political ideology and says you either have to be a part of these two parties or you're out of the system. In Lebanon, there's about 9 million factions that all form these loose coalitions with each other. I would like to know what these opposing factions who are throwing stones at each other, I'm curious what they are, but I can't find much about it. The blind monks in the catacombs guard the stone. An Iranian national has been sentenced to death in Iran after being convicted of providing information to the CIA and Mossad including information on the location of assassinated top commander General Qasem Soleimani. Whoa! 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 But Iranian officials later clarified that the alleged spy's conviction is not linked to the killing of Soleimani by U.S. forces. Anti-India protests have continued for a second day in Indian-administered Kashmir after the Indian forces killed at least nine rebels, rebels in the disputed region. The rebels, including three commanders, were killed in separate gunfights with the security forces in Shopian district. Shopian, I'm not sure how to say it. About 43 miles south of the capital of Kashmir, Srinagar. Running riot. And then one more story for the Facts and Logic Report. This could be the one last chance to make you yeah. South Korea's government said that it will press charges against two activist groups that have been floating anti-Pyongyang leaflets and bottles filled with rice to North Korea. Any action against the group is likely to trigger a debate over freedom of expression in South Korea. The announcement by Seoul's unifi unification ministry came a day after North Korea said it was cutting off all communication channels with South Korea, over its inability to prevent North Korean defectors from flying the leaflets across the border. There's a few interesting things about this because in the U.S. the narrative we get is as simple as South Korea good, North Korea bad. And so the idea that South Korea would be pressing charges against these anti-North Korean groups uh, might seem a little confusing, but of course geopolitics is a lot more complicated than what the U.S. media would want us to believe. One nation controlled by the media. For one, South Korea wants to get rid of these like leaflets and balloons because people who live on the border communities um, between North and South Korea, or I guess on the South Korea side, uh, hate them. They're constantly getting litter all over their towns. The entire demilitarized zone is completely covered in litter. 
it's just a complete mess sending these leaflets into North Korea. I mean, imagine if you woke up and there's just all these, like, balloons with note cards that get dropped, like, in your town, like, all over your street. That's what happens in South Korea, not even in North Korea. Imagine how bad it is once they get to North Korea. They're basically littering. I mean, that's one way to look at it. But, like, mass-scale littering from the sky. Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? Another th way that this... Another reason South Korea is doing this is... Think about it from their perspective. They have an entire ministry about unifying North and South Korea. They, it's one of the biggest geopolitical conflicts in... in definitely in modern history. That's history right there, you understand? They have so much resources going to solve this issue. And then imagine just some like, some guys who are very ideologically motivated but don't really know what they're doing start sending a bunch of uh, inflammatory propaganda across the border. That gets in the way of these institutions that exist to solve the geopolitical conflict between North and South Korea. Are the people who are sending leaflets into North Korea well-intentioned? I mean, I'm sure in their mind they are. We are sexy bitches, yeah! <laughs> but at the same time, like... North Korea cut off communication with South Korea over this, and that's kind of necessary if there is any chance of reunification. And the winner is a movie from South Korea. Did this ever happen before? Um, and I guess for now, that is the end of the Facts and Logic Report. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. Now, before I get into the state of the state where we talk about the police, I do want to give my Libyan Civil War report. So here it is. So, the UN recognized Government of National Accord, or the GNA, in Libya is continuing to advance on the territory claimed by the Libya National Army, or LNA, led by Khalifa Haftar. The GNA is primarily supported by Turkey, and the LNA, I'm, I usually refer in these segments as the LNA to Khalifa Haftar's forces, or something like that, to, because GNA, LNA, it's confusing. And so the LNA, Khalifa Haftar's forces, is primarily supported by Egypt, UAE, Sa Israel, Saudi Arabia, all the, the most insidious players you'd expect from Middle Eastern politics. Hmm. That's funny. I've never heard of a George Glass at our school. Not to say that Turkey's not suspicious, but also Haftar is supported by Russia. I didn't really put that in there. I've been asked to talk about Russia, and I might talk about Russia. So the first week of June, the GNA fully reclaimed Tripoli, which had been under siege by Haftar for over a year. 
The GNA then advanced on the city of Sirt, which uh, during the Gaddafi administration is actually a really important city because Gaddafi was from Sirt. I think he grew up there. He lived there. Um, and it was centrally located between the west and east Libya, Tripoli and Benghazi, the two main geography centers of the country. So they advanced on the city of Sirte, which is strategically and historically important. Meanwhile, President of Egypt, el-Sisi, declared on behalf of Khalifa Haftar that he was interested in a ceasefire. The ceasefire also called for, quote, dismantling militias and handing over their weaponry so that the Libyan National Army, led by Haftar, would be able to carry out its military and security responsibilities and duties, end quote. The militias that LCC was referring to seized oil fields controlled by Libya's National Oil Corporation. So presumably what he's saying is these militias seized oil fields. Let's get a ceasefire so Haftar can get the militias under control. Then we can continue fighting. Um, which, I mean, if you read between the lines like that, it's a pretty stupid request because it's basically a death wish for the LNA to accept that. Or rather, the GNA to accept that. They're basically... Or maybe not. I mean, I'm no war expert, but it does seem like a really pitiful request. My bum is on the ship, the battleship. I hope they don't shoot the cannon in my bum. Shoot all over the place. But anyway, the GNA refused the ceasefire. This is not the first time Haftar and the LNA has requested a ceasefire. As soon as the GNA made advances into territory. They, they've done this before. As soon as the GNA starts winning, the LNA asks for a ceasefire. And meanwhile, as the GNA advanced on Haftar's territory, the UN expressed, quote, horror at the discovery of several mass graves in Tarhuna, which was Haftar's last stronghold in western Libya. So that that's pretty bleak in terms of stories about mass graves. I never know what to think, at least at first, so we won't have to hear more about that. But it is unsettling to hear that there's, you know, multiple mass graves left behind this military force. And that's all we have for the, the Libyan Civil War report for today. Not a lot, but uh, that situation is still a powder keg. And I think it will just keep going and going, honestly. And I'm pretty worried about it. Especially if the U.S. gets more involved, which... Seems like might happen.
I guess let's do the segment I have been calling the police state. Welcome to the police state, folks. I'm going to go over some stories about uh, protests, riots, and cop activity going around the world. I already touched on them a little bit. I talked about the Lebanon riots, but those are happening in a different context than the, the riots and protests that started with George Floyd. So, let's go through. These are just some of the stories. There's about a million stories about these protests you can find. The first is that um, activists have been targeting and removing statues, including Columbus, Christopher Columbus, and King Leopold II in um, Belgium. There was also that photo of a uh, old... There's probably video too, but I saw photos. The old politician in England who was involved in the slave trade in Bristol. They took down his statue and threw him into the ocean. What do you want, Breton trash? The King Leopold is in Belgium, and if you're not familiar with him, he uh, basically orchestrated what could accurately be described as a genocide he basically claimed the congo as his own personal property he sent down military people there enslaved them killed hundreds of thousands if not realistically more than million more than a million in the millions he killed in the millions of people I wasn't precise in my death estimates. Millions of Congolese people died. Modern estimates range from 1 million to 15 million deaths, with a consensus growing around 10 million. In fact, I saw a really hilarious news story where it was like, King Leopold II's like, second cousin, like his great-grandnephew or some shit came out and said oh king leopold can't be blamed for all that stuff he never even went to the congo he stayed in belgium how can he be blamed for that stuff as if you know hitler very well very well may have never ever visited a concentration camp isn't that crazy I mean, he probably did, but even he, even if he never visited a concentration camp, he, it would still make absolutely no difference. So that's just stupid, stupid argument. But I, I only bring that up because the hilarious thing is, uh, how many of these like inbred, like just decaying royalty who have absolutely no power anymore. How much they're coming out of the woodworks to poo-poo people about these protests. For example, in Louisville, Kentucky, they had a they have a statue of uh, Louis the Sixteenth there. Because, I'm assuming because it's their namesake and no other reason. And the protesters like cut off the hand of the statue, and then in 
uh, freaking King um, Louis the Sixteenth, like great great grandson, came out of the woodworks and was like, "Hey, everybody! I'm sure you're gonna replace the hand, right? This is a very important statue." And it's like, who cares about your freaking dad? There was a revolution to get rid of him, and the world is better off without him. So. Who cares, dude? When the revolution comes, you can bloody well be sure that your head's going to be first on the chopping block. And then another thing about the Columbus statues is, uh, as I'm recording this yesterday, although I record this podcast on Sundays, release it Wednesdays, so when you're hearing this, a few days ago, there were protests in Philadelphia, and later in the day, apparently a bunch of white Italian South Philadelphians all started guarding this Christopher Columbus statue. They were armed. They were trying to prevent protesters from destroying it. I mean, how pathetic is that? Here's the thing with Christopher Columbus and Italian-Americans. I don't think Italians particularly care about Christopher Columbus. I mean, they might, but they have about a million historical figures they could um, revere and hold up as important. But Italian-Americans need to deify Columbus. And here's the, the kind of ideological justification reasons that I can think of. Columbus is the the proof, or Columbus is the evidence to them that Italians belong on the dominant side of American history. Because what makes someone a dominant person in American history? If they're a settler or defend, descended from settlers. For example... I didn't get this growing up on the West Coast at all, but when I came to the East Coast, I was going to a a master's program. I, I never graduated. I only went one semester, but a couple of my classmates said a really peculiar thing. They would brag about their connections to the settlers of America. There was one, one lady who was like, yeah, my last name is so-and-so, which means I'm in the same lineage of so-and-so who came on so-and-so ship. And um, almost as if that's like American royalties, like your proximity to the settler colonists give you a class status. So what an Italian-Americans need is for Columbus to retain his status as a prestigious settler colonist. And then they need to link the Italian-Americans' existence to Columbus in order to be on the side of the settler colonists. If there's no Christopher Columbus, then Italians are just migrants. They're not settlers. They're less than settlers because they're merely migrants. Of course, the material reality, there is no material difference now. There is no more... We already live in a settler colonial society. You can't get any more settler colonial than the U.S. But... 
Columbus is the 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 mythological key for Italian Americans to be on the side of white people. Columbus was white. He settled America. We're Italians. We're white. We're just the same as the pilgrims, the English, the German settlers. And Columbus is our proof. That is why reactionary Italians love Columbus so much. There's uh, some more stories about the goings-on. Cops and Live PD both... Well, Cops has been on way longer than Live PD. I've never even seen Live PD. But uh, both fairly long-running shows that glorified police have both been canceled... That's probably a good sign. I remember watching Cops as a kid and even being like, this is just kind of, this isn't cool. Like, these people are being exploited. Like, you find people in the worst circumstance. Like, why are we watching that? It it just seems like a way to turn quote-unquote criminals into less than human. They're just a spectacle to look at. So, I support cops being taken off the air. Um, another story is seven Los Angeles officers have been removed from their field duties after using excessive force during protests. So, I mean, they're not fired, not charged with anything. It's only seven police officers, but I, I do think some things are getting better. Of course, they're not nearly as better as they need to be, and I honestly think they will get a lot better after these protests. Like, for example, Cuomo came out the other day, and he was, like, referring to some... BS laws that barely change anything. He's like, all right, protesters, the public's on your side. We gave you what you want. Time to stop protesting, okay? And it's like, dude, you have to know that when you say that, that just signals to people, we're desperate. Please stop. Please, we're begging you. Please stop. We're desperate. And uh, because of that, I do think there's going to be a lot bigger changes that happen. Because, frankly, I think they are desperate. And they they will reach a point where they'll do anything to stop these protests. To Another story is Philadelphia police has suspended. And meanwhile, there is charges being pressed against... A man named Joseph Baloney, Joey Baloney. That is his real name. And he is the most Philly Philly cop you could imagine. He is just this he's every stereotype you think of with cops. You know, bald, looks like a slab of ham. He probably takes steroids and doesn't work out. That's why he looks so like bulky and kind of buff but also just like shaped like a barrel it's just his neck just looks like a sausage is like wrapped around it just the most like nasty cop you can just 
plaguey ass cop you can imagine. Um, yeah, so he was thankfully suspended. He was also, I think, a sheriff. He was no, not. A, I don't know, like a sergeant. He was some type of higher up. So if you've been to a protest, you'll see there's cops wearing all blue, and then there's like one guy wearing white. He's kind of in charge of the group, and that's what Joey Baloney was. And there were multiple videos that came out of him just using insane amounts of force. The most famous one is <clears throat> there was a group of people just kind of hanging out there. He completely just roid rage style charges at one of them, grabs him by the head, is just manhandling him. Uh, and this guy, he didn't even see it coming. He's doing nothing. And then a young girl comes up and tries to stop him from just doing, like, the most, most aggressive stuff. As soon as she does even a tiny bit of doing that, he refocuses on her, pulls out his club, and just clubs her over the head, like, hard. You can hear him clubbing her skull. It is scary. It's a scary video. He clubs her to the ground. And keep in mind, none of these people were doing anything. So just to give you an idea of how repulsive cops are, the police union in Philadelphia is selling shirts that say, Baloney Strong. They don't see a problem with beating the shit out of peaceful protesters. They see it as their job. And that's why they're they're allies with Baloney Strong. So where are the good cops here? Are they the ones wearing the Baloney Strong shirts? Are the good cops the ones who knocked over that old man in Buffalo, New York? Or were the good cops the ones who saw it happen and just ignored it? Or are the good cops the one who resigned in protest because people got punished for pushing down the old man? Are the good cops the ones wearing the Baloney Strong shirts? Maybe I already said that. Is Joey Baloney the good cop? There was also that video going around of the, uh, the New York sergeant whatever... Um, you know, having a hissy fit about how cops are so mistreated, man. They hate us now. Why does everyone hate us? I don't get it. Um, is that guy the good cop? Or was all the the cops around him whooping and cheering the good cops? Who are the good cops? <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> I've never heard of one. Never even seen one. The, the regular cops you see out on the street, like, they're, they're one missed donut away from beating the crap out of a homeless person just for fun. Like, where are the good cops, man? Oink, oink, pig, can you sing a song? I guess all the good cops are resigning after this, but only, like, three or four have resigned, that I know of have resigned out of principles. A lot of them are resigning because they're like, this work is too hard. I don't want to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week um, uh, beating people at protests. That sucks. 
And then there is also the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, where Seattle protesters have been gathering without police. Basically, so here's the the storyline of how I think, how I understand it to happen. There was a guy who drove into the protests in Seattle, drove into people, tried to hit people. I think he hit some people lightly. People were like, what the hell are you doing going up to his car? What's wrong with you, dude? Uh, Who knows what they were saying. Then the guy takes out a gun, shoots one of the protesters, still brandishing the gun, gets out of his car, abandons it, and runs through the crowd. He ended up getting caught and stopped by protesters. And then he turned himself into the police. So, pretty screwed up story, right? (laughs) This country is so screwed up, man! Then, news came out... That the guy who did that, the guy who drove into the crowd and shot someone, was related to a guy who works at Seattle's East Precinct, which was like a block or two away from the protests. Then, the next day, the Seattle police take as much stuff as they can out of the East Precinct. They bring in shredders, and they leave the precinct boarded up, completely abandoned. Then, protesters were thinking this was the pretext of some type of Reichstag fire, where the police were going to empty out the building, then catch it on fire to blame the protesters. So what the protesters did is they just stood around the police precinct all night to make sure that no one was going in to start fires. Because they knew if there was a fire, no matter who started it, it probably would have been police or someone affiliated with police, like the guy who drove into the crowd and shot people. They would be the ones who start the fires, and the protests would definitely be the ones to blame. So they started occupying the area around the police station. And then that grew a couple blocks in several directions, and has become the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. All, it's also, they're saying they want to change the name to Capitol Hill Occupied Protests. Trump threatened to, quote, take back Seattle and said, quote, this is not a game, but the Seattle mayor and Seattle police have been a little bit more dodgy about it. They're not so sure. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, Democrats decided to shield and shelter criminal. Look, look, wait. You have criminals. There's also another autonomous zone that popped up in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Autonomous Zone. It's built along the Benjamin Franklin Parkway, which leads to the art museum. It's really close to the Barnes and Rodin Museum. If you're familiar with that area, it's built in like a park. That one's much smaller and it's more like a a park occupy rather than the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone occupies, like, like streets, not, like, a park. I mean, it does occupy part of a park, but... Saturday, the park. So there may be several Autonomous Zones popping up. I don't know. I've only heard of those two. 
And the Philadelphia one is not nearly as press-worthy as the Chaz, so we'll see what happens. What's the bus? Tell me what's happening. I'm going to go to st the state of the state where I'm going to talk about the history of law enforcement, but I do want to give my thoughts on the Chaz at this point. There's been a lot of people online criticizing it from the left, criticizing it from the right, obviously, defending it from the left... Um, then there's been, you know, anarchists criticizing Marxists for criticizing the Chaz. Uh, it's all just really messy, but here are my thoughts on, on it. For one, as a protest, it's totally cool as a protest. Like, that, it is a protest, and they are occupying that area as a protest. That is why I kind of think the name Capitol Hill Occupied Protest is better than Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Because they really don't have the size, resources, material to make a truly autonomous zone. I mean, in the most basic sense, okay, they're still relying on... Um, American plumbing, they're still replying on electricity, blah, blah, blah. You could go into all the pedantic little things like that. Um, but I think that's kind of missing the point because they're not a revolutionary movement. They're not setting up a true, like, state society. So people who are reading it that way are kind of missing the point. Of course there's not going to be a revolution that stems from the Chaz. Because it's not trying to be that. So I could criticize it for not being properly revolutionary. Like, if they wanted to be revolutionary, they'd need a lot more um, armed protection. They would basically need to conscript everyone occupying it to have a chance of fighting against the police. But I, that's not happening. That's not even something that historically can happen right now. The U.S. isn't ready for a revolution. There's no infrastructure for a revolution. <clears throat> so as a protesting strategy, I think the Chaz is totally cool. And just because it's not going to bring about a revolution doesn't mean that... I mean, think about all of the potential future protests. They'll have things like the Chaz and Occupy as a blueprint for what they end up doing. And they can scale it, size it up, make it bigger, do whatever... And for all those reasons, you know, I really can't criticize the Chaz. I know there's been, like, cringy stories about people live there saying this or that on social media. But, like, who cares? That's the spectacle element of it. That's the type of stuff that people who want to criticize it will latch on to and they won't hear anything else about it. But the people who do care about the Chaz will hear the useful stuff. They will learn from it. They'll know what to do in the future. And they will carry that knowledge into the future. So just because conservatives and contrarians aren't getting anything out of the Chaz doesn't mean that other people aren't, and it could be used in useful ways. So I, I stay optimistic.
and having said all that, I mean, let's move into the... State of the state. State of the state. State of the state. So this state of the state, I'm going to talk about the history of law enforcement and how it pertains to society over time. Civilization was created when society invented class structures. And law enforcement was created when those class structures were invented. The first civilization, as we understand civilization to mean, likely was Sumeria. I mean, even if it's not the first, it's one of the earliest. Sumeria was able to develop a sedentary society. They weren't nomads. They developed primitive agriculture so they were able to live in place and grow crops. And this was due to settling along the fertile valleys of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Since the Sumerians developed agriculture, they were able to produce surplus resources. And since they had surplus resources, they could sustain a larger workforce. So what happened is Sumerians went up into the hills around them as far as like modern day Turkey and Iran. They went out searching for in the hills and they imprisoned nomads and hunter gatherers to take as slaves. And so this dynamic, when you have surplus resources controlled by a dominant class to sustain an oppressed working class is the foundation of all class-based societies. Person 1 controls the farm. They enslave person 2 who works the farm. Person 2 generates enough food for several people. Person 1 uses some of that food to free the slave and then distributes that the, the rest of the food to the rest of the upper class. So the slave creates what is needed to survive and then more so. The owner then t- seizes the surplus value from the slave who actually performed the labor. For primitive classes, primitive slave societies like the Sumerians, law enforcement, the law enforcement officers were the slave masters who forced the enslaved underclass to work. Similarly, cops under a capitalist economy exist to protect reinforce and replicate a capitalist class society in the same way slave masters enforced the laws of a slave society police enforce the laws of a capitalist society all societies sustain themselves both by both a repressive state apparatus and an ideological state apparatus So, to use another early society as an example, the dominant class of the Aztecs and Mayas retained powers through repression, namely imprisoning enemies and peasants for compulsory labor. That is just pure physical material repression, but they also retained power through ideology, and this would be shamans and priests, rituals social structures, those things justified 
their material repression. For example, if you're going to be sacrificed, if you're a slave and you're going to be sacrificed on a pedestal, they're going to cut open your penis and smoke your blood. Mm. The Mayans smoked penis blood. Cut your head off, throw you down a pyramid, whatever type of imagery you have of, you know, Mesoamerican human sacrifice, you need to believe that the spilling of your blood will save humanity. That makes you accept your fate. That is what the ideological apparatuses do. Yeah, we're sacrificing you. Yes, you're a slave, but the blood spilled from you will give us, you know, more sun. It'll save the drought. It'll it'll commemorate our transition into the new year. It'll do this or that. Believing in that justifies the repressive apparatus. So under capitalist societies, our repressive apparatuses are primarily law enforcement, although if you live internationally, it's really the military. But also, of course, you know, our ideological apparatuses are the media, schools, social clubs, families. There's we're inundated with things that are constantly telling us it's okay if a cop kills someone if they broke a law. It's okay if this or that happens. Everything we're bombarded with is justifying the repression that the state does to us. CNN is constantly justifying how repressive the U.S. is, and the reason they're perceived as quote-unquote liberal is because conservatives already buy into how repressive the government is. Conservatives don't need to be sold that police aren't actually bad. They're like, yeehaw, police! They rule! Sorry for doing the Southern thing. I, I don't like to like demonize Southern people, but uh, that's just my... My dumbass accent. So, sorry, it's Southern. But, uh... I have nothing against Southern people. <clears throat> Maybe I should do a Boston accent for my dumb conservative, because I do have something against Boston people. You know, the poly... <laughs> yeah, let me try my Boston accent. Yo, the coppers are here to save us! Oh. Save our uh, Dunkin' Donuts from these poor people. That's wicked awesome for the cops to do that. So conservatives don't need to be convinced the cops are good. Liberals do, though. So liberals watch CNN, and CNN is constantly saying, We know this is bad, guys. Trust us. We understand but then again, maybe the cops did have to use force. Maybe in this situation, they actually did. Did you ever think about that? Um, CNN is perceived as liberal because they're the ones covering for the police the most. So the function of law enforcement is quite simply to repress the working class. Cops literally exist as security guards for the capitalist class. And this isn't just some esoteric thing. This isn't me theorizing with my head in the clouds. 
This is foundational understanding of what makes a society and how classes function. So let's talk about defunding the police a little bit. What would defunding the police even look like? I mean, ultimately, it would be zero funding for police. But, and I think that is a defund the police is a great slogan for these protests because, well, Democrats will say that's just impossible. That's, that's not a majoritarian position. We can't take that because most people don't agree with it. And in a way, they're right. Because here's the truth of it. If you completely defund the police, you functionally end capitalism. If there are no police protecting private property and presuming the military wouldn't just then take the role of police, you would have the end of capitalism as you as we know it. There would be no one protecting the capitalists, the material reality of what capitalists control and what they have. So, think about it like this. Police are completely defunded. What's going to happen when a target gets looted? Nothing. There might be, there would obviously be a a reaction, a conservative reaction, where militias would be defending Target, but they 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 would just be playing the role of private police, and probably more willing to. I mean, uh, well, let's not go there because I'm going kind of going off rails. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, you may be thinking, what about murders and rapes? Cops deal with that, and um, those types of things aren't inherent duties to law enforcement. Cops arrest murderers. They sometimes arrest rapists, but not usually. They enforce law that way, but... Who actually solves the crimes? Detectives, coroners, things like that. And detectives don't need to be in the same department as the people who go up and pick up the murderers to go to prison. So imagine all the different things police do. You have the beat cop who just is wandering the street, um, harassing people, telling panhandlers to screw off, stuff like that. Those can just be completely eliminated. That is the most pointless-ass job ever. They have, I don't think a beat cop has ever prevented a crime once. They just harass people. That job just needs to go. Then you have cops like investigators, detectives, coroners. I don't know if coroners are technically cops, but I do know that in feudal times, coroners were kind of like the progenitors to a police force. Or, I mean, to a detective force. They were the first detectives um, because they were examining bodies. So, I mean coroners don't need to be in the police force detectives don't need to 
So imagine this. Someone's murdered, right? Let, so then let's say detectives look into it. Why do detectives need to be part of the same department as the beat cops who just, like, harass homeless people all day? Why do they need to work together? They don't. And I think if detectives were unarmed, didn't wear the stupid uniform, weren't wearing bulletproof vests or whatever, detectives were just, like, pencil necks working in an office investigating forensic evidence they would functionally no longer be a cop anymore they would still be coming to conclusions that were reinforced by the police state um but they wouldn't be part of the police themselves they would be independent and you could do this with any part of the police why not just divvy up the police department in, into different sections? That way they don't all feel an allegiance to each other. Once they have an allegiance to each other, they have solidarity as the enforcers of capitalist law enforcement. We don't want detectives who feel like they're on the side of capitalist class law enforcement. We want detectives who are just simply put inspecting evidence. And besides all that, when have you ever heard of a cop preventing a crime? You know, people always say, oh, who are you going to call when someone breaks into your house? For one, cops break into people's houses all the time. That's how Breonna Taylor got killed. They can break into your house wearing plain clothes and shoot you if you try to defend yourself. As anyone would, because you would presume that they're a burglar if it's a plain clothes person breaking into your house. But besides that, imagine someone else breaks into your house who's not a cop. What are the cops going to do? Usually, they come like three hours later, say, was anything stolen? And you're like, yeah, like, say, a DVD player. My PlayStation was stolen, this or that. And they're like, oh, well, we'll look out for it, but nothing we can really do. Bye. That's what the cops do. Are, is anyone really going to miss that? The only people who would miss that are middle class people who identify as members of the consumer class, suburban, aspiring feudal lords who have their little package of land out in the suburbs, and they're like, this is my domain. They... they will never have to call the police. No one wants to go by their shitty house. But they are still enamored with the idea of the police. What if someone breaks in? I need to call the police because they're the good guys and they would stop the bad guys. The people who are most offensive of police are just defending their imagination of what police do. And that's what that is. They, they don't interact with police enough to know that they're really completely freaking worthless. Cops don't protect and serve us. They protect private property and serve the capitalist class. They see anyone who is not a capitalist with private property as the zombie mob. 
the role of cops is to systematically keep you from rising up against the overclass. So let me just leave you with a couple questions and then we can wrap up this society show. Would Sumerian slaves be justified in seizing the barley he works for his master? Would an Aztec slave be justified in seizing the corn he works for his master? Would feudal peasants be justified in seizing the wheat they work for their lords and vassals? And similarly, would an American slave be justified seizing the cotton that they work on a plantation? All of those things are examples of a working class rising up against the law enforcement arm of the dominant class. It is 2020 and we are the common workers and laborers. We built and maintain this society. We are on the same trajectory of the working class of history. They are our progenitors, and they fought sometimes to the death for a more equitable, more fair, working class-based society for future people. We are in their lineage. If we all stopped working, our society would collapse. And you, yes, your labor, you, the person listening to this, is the foundation of not only our civilization, but all of human history. And the only thing standing between us, the common worker, from seizing the fruits of our labor from the cowardly capitalist class is the cops. The capitalists themselves will never defend themselves. They're all like, what's Jeff Bezos going to do? Like, inject steroids and fight someone for like a minute before he gets overtaken by a mob? No, that's what the cops do for Jeff Bezos. Understand your role in society and history. <clears throat> there were so many incidents of people rising up in the past. They resisted law enforcement to make sure working people of the future were less oppressed than they were. And now, there are workers in a capitalist society doing the same. State of the state. And that's been the state of the state. State of the state. Thank you for listening to the Society Show. Society. Right now, we're still doing bi-weekly episodes, but I do have some important news. This show is actually relocating to Seattle probably at the beginning of August. That means there might be a week or two break, but I'm hopeful that after the show relocates, we'll be able to start doing the show weekly, maybe even more frequently than that. My original vision of the show was to be a as much as three times a week show. And the only reason it hasn't been is because I just don't have the right setup, don't have the time, but new start, new setup, new time, I think we'll be able to become a lot more frequent after the move. 
So we'll be relocating the Society Show Studios from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Seattle, Washington in just a few months. So meet the guy. Who, me? Van Wilder. Wilder. Van Wilder. G-L-A-D to meet you. Who puts the cool back into school. That's uh, some early news. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Christian IZ Cool. Christian is cool is spelled with IZ. Christian IZ Cool. Large Twitter followings. And finally, check out undergroundmall.xyz. I guess that's all for announcements. Thank you for listening to the Society Show. Society. Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. On the next Arrested Development. So I told her, I said, don't bother with the food because right now I'm too nervous to take it. It doesn't matter how many hours I've been up. It doesn't matter what I've done for anyone. Right now I'm too nervous to take a meal from McDonald's because I can't see it being made. Would you believe when I was 18, I had a silver dollar collection? Now, what I've also learned is there is so much BS on the internet that people are trying to peddle. Or am I so sane that you just blew your mind? And there are documents here so disturbing.